Welcome to Postwave. You're here with Eric and Trevor. Today we're talking about music, music theory, and what makes music. Yeah, and also kind of our, our personal relationships with all these different elements of music that we're going to talk about and how we approach them in our composition and improvisation and all that good stuff. copious notes for this episode but do you remember in our intro to musical styles and ideas class when professor reese like went over i forget it was like an acronym mnemonic for like all the elements of music do you remember that i absolutely do not (laughs) (laughs) well (laughs) i couldn't figure out what it was either but i mean or what it was either Mm. what i do remember is that in our composition seminar we talked about like what are the fundamental units of music Mm -hmm. and we kind of put forward a bunch of different ideas and one idea was just that there's an arbitrary number of fundamental characteristics whatever you want to call it that's it um but or or not not quite i mean there are comprehensive descriptions and there are descriptions that could leave something out but like there are any arbitrary number of comprehensive descriptions with arbitrary numbers of things that are fundamental yeah yeah it, it probably depends a lot in your culture too and how what you're aware of how, how you would divide things because sure uh, yeah <laughs> a famous famous recent example being uh well people have been saying this for a long time but the whole oh rap isn't music because you know there's no melody uh-huh. <laughs> and so I mean, yeah, certain things like melody, I I don't think are are necessary for music. I mean, if if you say mm-hmm. if you say music needs melody, then you know does does the rock song stop being music when the drummer takes a solo, and then start, <laughs> start starts being music again once the rest of the band comes back? In? Right, 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 right. Yeah, um, yeah. And then there's like different cultures as well that have entirely different approaches of like w- what is necessary for it to be music, like uh, West African music it's like all of it is like built around the polyrhythm, the two against three. Mm -hmm. Um, And like gamelan music, the uh, intonation of the, the collective instrument, which is comprised of all of the different sub instruments. uh, That whole ensemble is like considered itself one instrument in and of itself because it's all each, each, uh, ensemble is specifically tuned to itself in a unique way that doesn't necessarily correlate to any other gamelan. That's that's super interesting. I didn't know that. Yeah, and, and yeah, doesn't gamelan use a lot of alternate tunings? That kind absolutely, of thing or just completely yeah, different uh, systems of tuning. Well, completely different systems yeah. of tuning. It has absolutely no correlation to uh, equal temperament. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and like I was saying, like uh, from one instrument, uh, from one gamelan ensemble to the next, it's unique. Mm-hmm. Um, and that it explores the concept of cycles, right? Of all these like phasing uh, cycles of varying lengths against each other. 
Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that, that's of course, I mean, a lot of, a lot of these kind of different aspects of, of musics other than Western music have been kind of picked up by, by contemporary classical music mm. as well as, you know, a, a lot of, a lot of pop. Well, I mean, more, what we can, would consider, I guess, Western pop music, if that's even, you know, a category <laughs> that makes sense, but, uh, uh. You mean like like the more experimental fringes of pop, like the Mars Volta? You might throw into that court category, even though they're doing crazy wacky stuff and very creative. It, you you might call it pop because it's like within the the some subgenre of rock. Yeah. So kind of the first example that comes to mind for me is Paul Simon. I don't know if you know any of his music. I know Simon and Garfunkel. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um. Yeah, so he has a he has like a really long solo career as well. But he did this, he did these two albums kind of back to back that both pull from the, the first one pulls from African African music, and he worked specifically with this group, Lady Smith Black Mombazo, who's a who's a vocal group, super amazing. People should should look them up. Um, and that was that was the album Graceland, and then his next album, The Rhythm of the Saints, was. A collaboration with drummers from Brazil and specifically this this city in Salvador, the city in the state of Bahia, which is in like North Brazil, called Salvador. And dr the drumming is is kind of loosely what we would call samba, but but mm. you know it gets more diverse and and specific than that. So yeah, and I think he was he was criticized a little bit for not giving as much credit to those groups as publicly mm. as, as people thought they maybe maybe deserve. So yeah. So obviously there, there's a lot of kind of cultural dynamics you have to keep in mind. Um, sure. Don't want another bout of Orientalism. Yeah. Yeah. Or, or just, you know, exoticism in general, which, mm -hmm. which yeah, has, has a huge, an awful history within Western classical music for sure. Mm. But all that aside, there's definitely a lot of cross-pollinization between uh, the different cultures and a lot of really brilliant music coming into existence that draws from different historical backgrounds. Totally, totally. And yeah, that, that's one of the most exciting things about being alive right now is just the, like you said, the incredible cross-pollination that's ha happening and, and the collaborations between you know, between people who are from different cultures. I, th I think that's kind of where... The, where this kind of thing tends to be most fruitful is when you actually have two different people collaborating on the thing, you know, kind of like Paul Simon did, you know, you're not, you're not just on your own kind of taking things from it. Right. Yeah, definitely. There's the, the back and forth. Yeah. And these different backgrounds might lend different ideas of what is fundamental to music. Yeah. Yeah. So another another group people should check out if they haven't heard it is Yo-Yo Ma's Silk Road Ensemble, which brings together a bunch of people from, you know, pe people from cultures that would traditionally have been along the Silk Road, like places in, in the Middle East and, and Turkey, I believe, as well as in Asia, and kind of bringing together a bunch of different traditional instruments that might not be normally heard together and playing playing songs from, from each tradition. And I think they, they compose original stuff sometimes too mm. uh, yeah cool so maybe let's start moving through these different c categories as best we can and kind of debate 
maybe whether they should be included as we as we move along. Sure. So, Trevor, what are the fundamental aspects of music? Well, Eric, I'm <laughs> glad you asked. <laughs> I think I think there 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 is kind of a hierarchy. So I'll try I'll try to go in order. Uh, so, so I think rhythm is probably the most fundamental characteristic mm. of music. I mean, it's it's hard to have music without rhythm. You know, maybe it's not metered. Maybe it's not a time signature like four four, but it is forming some kind of rhythm. Unless you're, it's drone. It's literally just drone music where it's one chord or one, you know, one note for the whole whole thing. Mm-hmm. Like uh, sun, oh, or sun's cannon springs to mind. Yeah, but that that does that does have have different notes, right? Uh, yeah, parts of it, parts of yeah. it. Um, but you know, I think I think there might be some tracks that are just one note. Yeah, I wouldn't be I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> Lamont Young, who's who's this kind of experimental twentieth century and twenty first century. I think he's still alive. American composer has this series of what a lot of people would probably call performance art pieces. One of them is push a piano through a wall. Uh-huh. And <laughs> uh, another, another one that's really famous is just, it's there's, there's a perfect fifth from G to D. So bum, bum, bum. I can sing a perfect fifth today. <laughs> you got it. <laughs> uh, so yeah, th- just those two no- notes, and it says uh, to be held for a long time. Uh huh. Yeah. yeah that, so yeah, that maybe, maybe that cool. wouldn't have any have any rhythm, but. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's really interesting because when you think about like what music is, what it has served uh, the people who are making it, you know, where it has originated historically and prehistorically as well, you know think back to tribes uh, you know, small groups of people getting together and doing some sort of an activity musically to sync up with each other to uh, increase group cohesion yeah and, yeah it's, it's really interesting to think about kind of why music evolved and and what purpose it serves yeah and when you when you have something like that that kind of uh environment in mind definitely rhythm springs to the forefront yeah yeah there, there's something there's something that's really deep about rhythm right because any, any, anyone when they hear music that is that is you know gro- groovy in some way or just you know it makes you want to tap your foot or like move or something that that's kind of a mm-hmm. visceral desire that you know it's it's easy to have that that feeling without any, knowing anything about music right totally yeah there's uh, something primal about it, something that reaches inside our psyche and does something. You know, there's the, the history of trance, uh, going into trances, where you just have some guy on a, a drum or something just doing the same thing for hours and people zone mm-hmm. out. I guess I guess we can kind of talk about how we how we approach, both approach it in, in writing music. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so there's different kinds of rhythm, obviously. There's whole bunch of different approaches and they are different across styles and for me personally one style that's hugely influential in terms of rhythm especially is progressive metal yeah you mean specifically gent or or other kinds of of prog metal too yeah definitely more towards the gent i mean 
there's good songs that have been written in 7-8 or 5-4, but that's not really what draws me, you know? Mm-hmm. You want to do the more... slow headbanging while the polyrhythms are happening? <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's the interaction between the different pulses, the way they phase against each other, the way they mutate and evolve over time that draws me. Yeah. Yeah, and there, there's something even just about like Doom or Sludge Metal, like you might hear a band like Thou do. Is it, you would say that's like a a good like description of their style. It's like Doom. Yeah, it's, I I would say Thou is definitely Sludge, and I would say typically very different from Prog, almost like the polar opposite within the metal vein. Yeah, I mean that was definitely doing some some pretty technical stuff i mean it's not you know it's 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 not just really really slow riffs or that kind of thing i mean there's lots of that but it's is there's a lot of really interesting composition going on at least you know Mm -hmm. definitely yeah um although for the most part it's it's like four four you know four (laughs) yeah (laughs) which i love i was listening to thou in the car earlier today it was banging in my head yeah yeah, I've definitely gained an appreciation for for that kind of thing even more over over the past few years. Because mm. if you go to a concert like that, it's almost meditative, right? Because the the tempos are so mm. slow and the the chords change so slowly a lot of the time, and it's you you just feel the feel the vibrations and the, the bass and and your yeah. your sense of time kind of does does strange things. Yeah, it's extremely meditative. I saw Sun live once, and once is enough. Although I'd love to see him again, my ears would not. Um, can't, they can't take it. Uh, after after that concert, I had like you, you know how after your concert you hear like a high ringing. Oh, totally, yeah. After sun, it was like a mid range, <laughs> like it was like a ooh. <laughs> you know. Did you have earplugs? I had earplugs and it was so loud that it felt as though I did not have earplugs <laughs> in and I had to like keep reaching up and like touching to make sure they were still there. <laughs> wow, that's intense. I don't think I've ever been to a concert that was that loud. I think I think they they might be the loudest band. They play at like 126 decibels. Oh, really? Like consistently? I'm pretty sure. Um it's it's like 127 would like blow out your eardrums <laughs> really <laughs> for over that extended yeah um i mean it's definitely definitely causes long-term hearing damage to listen to an even an hour of 126 because you know it goes up exponentially that's interesting yeah i bet i bet now that i think about it i bet most loud bands have like a certain decibel level that they shoot for and mm-hmm. it's probably pretty consistent I remember when I the second time I saw Death Grips, that was probably the loudest show I've ever been to. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, but so when I was at Sun, it like you were saying, it was very meditative. You just kind of zone out, and your sense of time disappears, and you're just stuck in the moment, which is good. And the other thing I was uh, feeling at the time is that it it seemed to me that the music. And the performance was like some protecting entity. Like it was this, I mean, it was, it was 
kind of an unpleasant thing. It was like this masculine, forceful presence. And yet it was so overwhelming and so overpowering that it left no space for anything else in a way that felt protective. It was like, you don't have to feel on edge about anything. You don't have to feel defensive because there is nothing that can hurt you here. I am looking after you, you know? <laughs> that's crazy. Yeah, that, that's something I I think about a lot. Like, what, what, what does it mean to totally lose yourself in listening to music? Hmm. That kind of thing. Yeah. I, I did have one experience when I was tripping. This is back in, like, I think August. Hmm. Where I was... I was listening to something from The Last on the Commentarium by the Mars Volta, and for a good maybe like 30 seconds or a minute, I felt like I I was the music. That was all there is. Mm. And and I felt like I just completely merged with it, you know? Yeah. And I, I just wonder, yeah, I just, I just wonder how to get back into that state. Because it's the kind of thing, I mean, it's, it's probably pretty similar to, to a flow state mm-hmm. in that you, you know, kind of, kind of the, the second you realize that you're in it, you, you break it. Right. Totally. Then you just start I, I, th- I think, yeah, I think the central to getting into that state is surrender is, is sitting down and attending to what's happening and whatever it is, you are going to experience that and there's nothing else. Yeah, and there's there's nothing better for you to be thinking about at that moment. Than oh yeah, the music. there's yeah. nothing else. Like that's all there is. Yeah, yeah. For for a long time, we we've talked about this a little bit, but when I was basically doing music full time, back in you know 20, 2018, 2019, early twenty twenty, I got to a point where where listening to music kind of didn't seem that appealing a lot of the time because I'd been playing music mm. all day or listening or practicing that kind of thing all day. Mm. And, you know, when I, when I got home, I, I was like, well, my music brain is worn out and yeah, that, that's gotten a lot better over this, over this past year since I've, I mean, I've, I haven't had like any, mm-hmm. and I've kind of, I've kind of reframed it a little bit as, as kind of a stoic thing. So the, the stoic philosophers have this idea that you should meditate on the idea of doing something for the last time and realizing mm. that you only do everything a limited amount of times. Cause you know, your, your life is, is a finite thing. And however the mundane thing is like washing the dishes or, you know, driving, driving to the grocery store that the t- number of times that happens is still finite. And mm. it's always possible when you're doing that thing that it might be the last time you do it. And, and that's, you know, that's totally true for listening to music too, or, or experiencing any art. And hmm. for most, you know, most songs you, you do not, or pieces you do not listen to them that many times, right? It's only your, your favorite stuff that you're going to hmm. listen to, you know, hundreds of times, or I don't even know, like thousands of times over the hmm. course of your life. And so, yeah, it's, it's somewhat, there's a non-zero chance that when you listen to a, a certain song, it'll be either the last time you hear it and, and 
yeah, I just try to get myself in the mindset without like bumming myself out. <laughs> yeah. Get in the mindset of, of, you know, pretend, pretend this is like the last thing you're listening to or pretend that, that hmm. it's give it, give it that level of preciousness. Yeah, totally. You de- definitely want to engage with that same level of attention. And it's, it's interesting to me that uh, this state of trance and timelessness can come out of rhythm, which is, you know, quantizing time. Yeah, yeah. Although if you have a if you have a steady meter or a changing meter, it is kind of cyclical in a sense because you keep coming back mm. to the one, even if it's even if it's mixed meter, right? You right. Keep, you there's this kind of like I said, the cyclic nature that that gives it kind of this feeling of of timelessness or mm. or something like that yeah the finite implies the infinite and vice versa if you're enjoying what you're listening to so far and you want to support us somehow there's lots of ways you can do that you can go follow us on facebook or instagram or visit us online at postwavepodcast.com or send us a nice email at postwavepodcast at gmail.com you can also follow us on your podcasting platform of choice. We're on pretty much everyone out there. Give us a nice review if you're on a platform that supports that or a five-star rating. Thanks for listening. talk about how I approach rhythm a little bit so my music listening history is pretty weird like basically the only thing I listened to from the time I first started getting into music in sixth grade or so is jazz and then I started listening to classical music when I was in like eighth grade and then started listening to more kind of contemporary rock stuff in late high school and hip-hop eventually in college so i feel like my my main sense of rhythm comes from jazz and and from classical music but there's there's kind of stuff that's, that's all over um i'm i'm super into odd, odd odd time signature stuff so so obviously jazz the the main kind of rhythmic device is swing right and that definitely has that that kind of feeling i was talking about where when you hear someone doing it well you can't you can't help but feel a sense of, of like satisfaction and, and comfort and, and that kind of mm. thing. Um, yeah. I, rem- I remember old teachers saying it, it feels like a, like a pair of blue jeans or something you've just had forever and <laughs> they just fit so well, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, I think he, he, I think he said that about Count Basie. He was a, an old uh, big, big band leader and piano player. Mm. And then, yeah, then, then I got into classical music and that's, you know, that the, the I think that the big thing in, classical music that a lot of other music doesn't have is rubato right the sense that especially if you're hmm. you know playing in a in a as a solo 
solo player or in a small group that the tempo doesn't have to be strict it can be it can get faster and slower and and that kind of thing with with the you know whatever the performer is feeling in the moment right and yeah usually usually in you know in other genres that only happens you know if, if it's someone just playing completely by themselves or um, i mean uh, fr- free jazz being the exception i guess because sometimes there's just no tempo and everyone's just kind of on their own yeah um, and they can just, you know slow down and speed up that, that, yeah definitely definitely exists there um but yeah I, th- I think that's that's the most interesting thing about rhythm and classical music and, and definitely you know once you get into the 20th century there's a lot of crazy rhythmic stuff going on with you know like stravinsky's rite of spring and when people like stockhausen start to approach rhythm the same way schoenberg approached 12 tone writing like giving you know creating a a series of durations and then kind of moving through those durations and then you know also in classical music you you start to get pieces without bar lines after a while and pieces that are just completely rubato and asynchronous and Mm. one of my one of my favorite composers one of my favorite composers uh you told ludoswowski who's this polish composer from the 20th century he he did a lot with giving people parts that are that have their own internal sense of rhythm but they can you know vary them with kind of a a rubato type thing and then you get a bunch of people doing that independently on top of each other without necessarily coordinating with the other people and then Mm. that just creates these really interesting cloud kind of textures and you can do a lot of really cool stuff with with you know juxtaposing different groups that are that are doing that that kind of thing you have a conductor that can like coordinate when certain groups start to stop and and have certain sections that are written out more conventionally you get you get a lot of a lot of really innovative sounding stuff hmm. interesting kind of kind of like playing with the concepts of like intentionality versus chaos and how sometimes the most intentional things can sound chaotic totally totally yeah and and finding ways to make it so that the players can kind of put their own individual expression into things without worrying about coordinating with with everyone else i, I think that's also kind of part of it too um but yeah because so much of so much of 20th century classical music can just get so chaotic and seemingly mm. un unorganized that, that yeah. it's good to have some kind of structures that that kind of give people something to hang on to All right that's really fascinating too because i think that highlights the fact that the purpose of the music the audience the things being expressed is entirely different from what we were talking about earlier with like a community or a tribe using the music and the rhythm to converge and to convene and you know line up with each other and now you have music like lutoslavsky where it's very intentionally like creating an environment where you not only don't have to uh correlate with everyone else but you're encouraged not to yeah yeah i mean it's, it's kind of the, the postmodernist thing of anything goes right mm-hmm. it makes me think about like what's the intentionality behind that piece like the, the purpose is obviously not to bring people together creating music together it's something else yeah maybe it's more about the the composer expressing something than it is about you know yeah bringing people together hmm yeah it's more like artistic expression rather than that 
something else, which 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 is interesting to me because I've always, you know, before thought that music is just like another form of art. It's another medium through which to express things, and it is that. But maybe that maybe there's a deeper purpose to music, or there can be. Yeah, I, mean, I think I think I think like you said, it it can bring people together in a community and give people something to bond over. I mean. Yeah, you know, how 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 excited are you when you when you meet someone new and they're into all the same bands you are and you can <laughs> talk about that stuff? You know, uh, I think I think Ludoslavsky actually actually talked about music as fishing for souls. Mm. That you you, you know you should you shouldn't try to try to bend yourself to do what's popular. You should do what you, you what satisfies you most, and then you'll find the people that are that are most similar to you, and and you know, then you then you bond over that. That's cool. So, so maybe even with like Ludoslavsky, it's like, even though inherent to the music that's being created is this expression of, you know, separation of individuality, uh, in distinct from the the community, and like you know, just b- doing something separately. There is, in it still creates the opportunity for people to bond over that thing. Totally. Which is kind of maybe like a little bit of a hedgehog dilemma sort of situation. You know, get what close but that? not too close. <laughs> so yeah, the, the kind of, the kind of, I, I hesitate to say messiness, but, but fuzziness, you know, of, of, of not having everything, you know, perfectly lined up and completely clear. There's, there's kind of, you know, cl- cloudy stuff that's happening. Um, that's, def- that's definitely a thing I, I think about a lot now. And, uh, and that, that kind of gets in, into some of the things about, about hip hop that I've, I've found rhythmically inspiring. So, uh, mm. and this is, this isn't, this isn't, uh, I don't know if people would necessarily consider him hip hop, but, uh, D'Angelo, who's, who's this kind of R and B, um, neo soul singer and, and musician and producer in the, the started in the nineties. Um, he kind of devised this, this style of of like playing drums and making beats that that plays a lot with you know certain elements being behind the beat or ahead the beat ahead of the beat mm. you know like a lot of times mm-hmm. the snare drum is is late or, or something and that um and and that's just really fascinating because it's it's if you think about what it's actually doing it's actually a really complicated polyrhythm right mm-hmm. it is somewhere it's somewhere on the grid but you know it's it's delayed by like a you know a seventh of a of a you know a seventh of a beat or something like that mm-hmm. and uh quest love is actually the drummer who who he was working with when they they kind of invented that thing um people probably know him from from the roots mm. but um yeah and jay dilla is another another name people associate with that style a lot um mm. yeah i think that kind of thing is really prevalent everywhere and you know not not everywhere but like in many places and it's always a sign of masterfulness when someone incorporates that into the music yeah yeah and and it's it's really interesting because when you get down to the the, the millisecond range you you, mm. you kind of you can kind of play with what people will actually perceive as late because i think like mm. you know 10 milliseconds or, or 20 seconds 20 milliseconds is like oh that's just in the pocket you know it just totally has that that feel good feeling Mm -hmm. and then if you if you go yeah obviously the longer you go the more kind of 
experimental or, or weird it starts to sound. I, I think I think maybe this concept of the pocket though goes a little bit beyond just tight, you know, like if you have a, a, a drum machine that plays exactly on the beat, it doesn't really sound in the pocket, right? Exactly, kind of exactly. Mechanical. Yeah, but that's, then what, we, that's what when I'm you saying have about that, it. Yeah, that delay. Yeah. It, some something about it is is human. Yeah. And that's something I definitely appreciate in in people like Zach Hill, who's who's the drummer for for Death Grips, and now <laughs> this new band called Undo K from Hot, which is uh, is quite something. People should go look them up. They, they just released their new album, their first album, I think yesterday. We're recording this May eighth, and also his his first so his first band, Hella, was kind of a, a math rock thing, and mm. a lot of a lot of math rock I. I don't really like as much. I mean, I I really love King Crimson, who's kind of a prog rock band that started in the the seventies, who does a lot of odd time signature kind of polyrhythm polyrhythmic type of stuff. But a lot of math rock just seems kind of too too clean to me. Mm-hmm. But what Hella is doing is is as I think I saw someone describe it in a YouTube comment, rushing in a way that sounds like a polyrhythm. Okay, <laughs> just like uh, we'll we'll post a link to some some Hella songs, but it's yeah you can obviously tell zach Hill like really has a lot of control and knows what he's doing and can actually play polyrhythms really well mm. but the way he does it is just like rough around the edges in a really interesting way uh. 45 minutes on <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah uh yeah let's go on let's do okay. the next okay so i actually only just thought of this in the moment but I think the next most basic element is dynamics. Really? Yeah. I mean, you know, trying to trying to think of things that without them, it's it's hard to think of music that doesn't have dynamics, right? Again, unless it's just unless it's just a single tone or chord that's being held indefinitely, then with with no dynamic variation, then I think I think it's mm. it, it, you'd be hard pressed to find any music that literally doesn't have any dynamic variation. You know, whether it's between between two repeating parts like you know if if one part is at a certain dynamic and another part is at a different dynamic uh, i think that still counts as as dynamic variation yeah that's that's interesting i mean i i can definitely think of some pieces for example for classical guitar that can be played basically at one volume level and is it the best interpretation no it's it's a little bit mushy it's a little bit bland but you know it's still the the piece of music yeah actually as you were saying that uh it, it occurred to me that for a long time the the harpsichord which was you know the, <laughs> right <laughs> kind of the, the main the main keyboard instrument in baroque and pre-baroque music you know didn't didn't have dynamics so right. maybe i'll maybe i'll 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 roll it back and and say yes you can have you can have music without dynamics but i think it is still one of the most basic basic elements hmm. I mean, I think I think you're onto something there because, like I was saying, you can have a piece of music, you can play it without dynamics, and it's still like okay, but it's less musical, right? It's like there's something less expressive and less intentional about it. Yeah, yeah, and I think so much of music is related to how the human voice sounds, mm. and and that's kind of something that it that it emulates in the human voice because no one no one talks at the same volume all the time right right even even in, in just in just you know one, one sentence your your volume can can fluctuate a little bit 
definitely. Unless you're just one of those really loud people who just talk really loud all the time. That's true. true. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, there's a lot of those in in New New England here. Yeah, it's it's something that you don't really plan into the music necessarily. It's just uh, open for interpretation, and the performer when 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 you're playing the music, you can play with the dynamic to increase the interest and musicality. Yeah, yeah, totally. I mean, I think one thing we could talk about is kind of the whole idea of the loudest words and how music is getting more and more compressed and losing its dynamic range. Mm-hmm. Right. Totally. Yeah, like, for example, metal is very noisy and loud, and in the recordings, you know, it's basically balls to the wall the whole time, right? Right, right. I mean, you, you'll have the intro that's, you know, ambient and, and spacey. And, <laughs> and like, uh, there's one Thou song I'm going to forget the name of. Uh, I think it's called, like, Take Off Your Skin and Dance in Your Bones. Uh-huh. Uh, it's, if not, it's, it's from that same album. But the, there's this, like, really beautiful kind of ambient, you know, it, intro with, like, a lot of delay on the, on the guitar and the bass and kind of ambient female vocals. And then, you know, three or four minutes in, it, the, it you know, the then it hits the super compressed part and mm-hmm. I, I think there's something yeah there's something very very effective about that like definitely that much dynamic contrast hugely I, I love that uh it, it makes it like harder to listen to in a car though or in a noisy any noisy environment i found that anything with dynamics doesn't shine through it needs it needs the, the space the quietness in order for that to be effective yeah yeah definitely and that's the same thing with a lot of classical music because it's not mm. usually it's not compressed at all and so yeah it's, and there's a lot of dynamic range so it's it's hard to hear uh, but yeah that, that mm. is why that is probably why more pop music is is compressed because it's it gets played in coffee shops and and that kind of thing yeah in car radios mm-hmm yeah, I, I also always think of the beginning of the Mars Volta album, Francis the Mute, because it's, so, <laughs> it's, it's like so much, like the, I don't know, it, it's like 30 seconds to a minute or something of like acoustic guitar and vocals, and then, then yeah, the, the, the wall of <laughs> Which, sound hits you. Yeah, they do that on purpose so that you'll turn up the volume, and then it hits you. <laughs> of course. <laughs> yeah. Very very clever. Mm-hmm. They, 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 they do like, like, 30 seconds of instrumental guitar and then the voice comes in and it's really really quiet and so you're like oh now now this is the part where i would have expected it to get louder and it hasn't so it just must be quiet and then they do like a verse and then it gets loud you only get one first time listening to that song yeah (laughs) um so if dynamics is unimportant but maybe not fundamental aspect of musicality what is another fundamental aspect of musicality so i would say probably timbre which is just tone color and and what you Hmm. what 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 makes you distinguish you know a saxophone from a trumpet or a cello from a guitar that kind of thing right Mm -hmm. and that actually has to do with the kind of the physical construction of the instrument if it's an acoustic instrument and and what overtones of the harmonic series that accentuates or not yeah that's i think huge absolutely fundamental to music and to audio in general yeah yeah and part of the really cool thing 
and and part of the reason that these these categories of music are hard to define is that they they don't have any really clear boundaries. So so rhythm. I think we've talked about this a little bit on our on our spectralism episode. But if you speed up rhythm to more than even if it's just like a, a drum beat, like a kick drum, if you speed that up to more than twenty times per second, you'll start to hear a pitch because that's mm. the the low end of of what what humans can perceive as pitch and so so pitch is just rhythm and then that means that har- harmonies are polyrhythms and that tone color is also polyrhythms <laughs> yeah wow uh-huh uh-huh <laughs> um yeah i mean there's something hugely fundamental to that i think there's again that parallel back to theoretical physics of you know every particle being a waveform and uh, having it so so that any combination of particles is just a combination of waveforms which can be represented as a complex waveform in the same way that audio is yeah yeah wow that's really that's really interesting yeah i mean we think i, th- I think our best guess about what the universe actually is is a wave function right there is a mm-hmm. there's a quantum wave function that that describes the entire universe theoretically yeah and i think i think i've heard i think i've heard the 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 many worlds interpretation of quantum mechanics that says every time there's a quantum event that there's two different universes now mm-hmm. I, th- I think i've actually heard that compared to harmonics on a on a string I, that's how, that's how you explain the that you know no no new matter has to get created in order for that to happen it's just, hmm. it's just you know the way the the way the wave is is vibrating is more complex at that point. Whoa, <laughs> that's fascinating. <laughs> hmm, <laughs> that's good. So so that's every good. time there's a, there's a, a split in the in the wave function, everything just goes up an octave. <laughs> uh huh. So how, how do you think about timbre? when you're um writing you know i don't hugely i did to some extent when i was writing a few small ensemble pieces but back in college but that was only you know i only wrote a a small handful of those most of what i create is for guitar and for voice and you know instrumental guitar or guitar and voice and, uh, you know, I did play with electronics and stuff. And there's some temporal exploration there, but for the most part, it's a very limited spectrum of sounds that I'm playing with. That's interesting. Don't you do electronic music sometimes, though? Yeah, yeah. Um, so, yeah, there's, for example, that piece uh, in The Embers of Existence that I wrote in college, which is actually very much an exploration of timbre, where it's basically an overto- two overtone series where over the course of like four or five minutes, the harmonics get faded in and out at different uh, rates to create different, different spectra. Wild. Yeah. I remember, I remember that. That's, that's one of, one of the ones I'm more proud of, but you know, since then my approach to creating music is a little bit different. Uh, out of academia, I have had, a couple spurts of writing more music where I've been focusing almost exclusively more in the folk vein in the, I am playing the guitar and singing a melody with lyrics kind of thing. 
Interesting. Yeah, I guess I kind of knew that, but I didn't know it was such a conscious switch in direction. Mm. Yeah, I mean, it's it's more that I'm trying to feel into the other reason of making music. Like we were saying earlier, I feel like in academia, there's a strong drive towards expressing artistic intention. And what I'm trying to feel into more now is just the more primal connecting to other people and part of that is to buy in at least to some extent to the accepted musical language and and uh leaning into subconscious ex subconscious expressions of of musicality as opposed to intentional things yeah, that's really interesting. I think I, I do agree with you that intention is is emphasized a lot in in academic music and and maybe maybe too much. Mm. But and yeah, it's it's an interesting question how much of how much of the the conventional musical language you have to you have to use to to have you know a good number of people listen to your music, you know, and mm-hmm. like genuine genuinely connect with a lot of people yeah and you know and and it's less even about like trying to pander to a larger audience so much as feeling what has been made innate in me and bringing that out even if it's just things that have been hashed and rehashed in popular music yeah yeah it's it's kind of a, a trope, you know, about about music and about pop music that oh man, everything's been done. There's nothing new, you know. Mm-hmm. Like you're just repeating the same same stuff people have been repeating forever. But but yeah, I, I don't really agree with that because you know we're some we're some of the first people to be alive with the the present situation the world is in right now. Mm-hmm. And I mean the, the statement didn't really make any sense, but you know no <laughs> no, no no one in human history before before the last you know 10 years 20 years had experienced anything like what we're experiencing now so i think you can't help but make music that's that's influenced by that in some way definitely hugely yeah and i mean even if our expression of music isn't like direct towards you know the future or anything like pushing the art forward it's uh, a less direct route it's it's more just uh there's an element of repetition in it of just following the flow of everything as opposed to pushing it forward. Yeah. Yeah. So how do you explore timbre in your music? So I, I definitely, the, the place that, that I end up thinking about a lot is definitely in electronic music. Cause I, I don't write a whole lot of instrumental music anymore. Like most of my, most of my music is that I write these days is choir music when it's, uh, when it's kind of in the contemporary classical vein, and tone, tone color is definitely important there too. I mean, you know, you have you have these different singing techniques like traditional Bulgarian singing, which I have I haven't really used, but that that produces this very uh, bright vocal vocal color that's a little more kind of rough sounding than the the traditional classical approach. But it's it's really it's a really cool, interesting sound. Um, but I mean, also things, you know, like, like pure, pure noise is pretty easy to get in choir music, right? You just have to make people go shh, that kind of thing. Um, Mm. 
also, I mean, incorporating screams, which I've done in a couple pieces at this point. But yeah, so like I was saying, electronic music is is kind of the main place I tend to think about timbre a lot, and a lot of it has been kind of exploring the the boundary between harmony and and timbre. So I, I I've been working on this this synth patch in Maxim SP, which is this visual programming language for for a few years now. I, I haven't really like changed it too much in the past year or so, but I've I've been improvising with it, and uh, basically it lets you. Uh, create like a step sequencer that you know it's just a sequence of of tones that keeps getting repeated um could be up to 16 um and if you speed that up fast enough like i was saying earlier you you actually start to hear the the progression through the notes as the as the frequency and once you get above 20 hertz you're, you're hearing this really complex sound that's being produced by the the pitches that are in that the actual step sequence are combined with the frequency at which they're being cycled through right and <laughs> uh I, mean, I haven't like sat down and figured out the math of exactly how that works because it would be really complicated for you know any any like arbitrarily large <laughs> sequence of notes i'm sure mm-hmm. but you get some really glitchy sounds that are that are somewhere between timbre and harmony and and melody wow <laughs> <laughs> that's fascinating yeah you you get the you get the the well what it is is ring modulation right that's the sound like you get these um because you're you're modulating one frequency with another frequency but it's not ring it's not ring modulation it's it's frequency modulation is what it is um mm. yeah um, fm synthesis yeah FM, yeah so, so that produces what we call sidebands which are frequencies that are i think i think in regular like if you're just if you know if you're just doing one note by another note um I think it's like the either the sum and the difference or the product is what you hear. So you like you hear the two frequencies added together or subtracted, um, or or multiplied. I forget which one it is. Some some pretty simple operation between the the frequencies, and you get kind of one sideband that tends to go up as you increase the the frequency of the frequency mm. modulation, and one that tends to go down. So you get this you know and a kind of going on at the same time, and, mm. uh, and yeah, that's yeah, that's really cool. Um, really fascinating the things that pop out when you start to explore with the mediums of electronic music yeah yeah because it's it's essentially infinite Mm. 